All right. Uh, my name is Louis Virgi, and uh, welcome to my podcast, Optimize It, um, a podcast that I created because I wanted to share some of the insightful things that I've been reading, listening to, or even just thinking. Uh, some of these ideas are original, and some are inspired or relate through others. Regardless, my goal with this podcast is to provide information and insight that you can apply to your own life, or as you could say, optimize it. Anyways, hope you enjoy, and thanks for your support in advance. Um, so what I got for you guys today is not even my words. Uh, I am just going to be reading um, straight from some pages of Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Be Useful, The Seven Tools for Life. And we'll kind of just take it from there and maybe throw in some little adage to it too. But um, we'll let the words of Arnold take it away. Also, for a man being like what? Like how old is he? One second. For a man being 76, he looks pretty dang good. So uh, maybe there's something to be said about working out and not being stagnant. But I digress. I'm back to the book. All right. I think a lot about how different my life could have been if I wasn't a positive person. If I had responded differently to my upbringing in Thal. I didn't have a hot shower or regular meat in my diet until I left for the army as a teenager. My daily morning routine involved fetching water, chopping wood, which was brutal in the wintertime and earned me exactly zero sympathy from my father, who had been through much worse when he was a kid. There's no free passes in Gustav Schwarzenegger's household. No free meals either. I had to do 200 knee bends every morning just to earn my breakfast. Nothing works up an appetite like bobbing up and down like a pogo stick on an empty stomach. The drudgery and the discomfort and all the thankless labor could have broken my spirit or made the images of America that I saw in magazines, newsreels, seem impossibly far away. It could have drubbed the instinct to look over the horizon out of me. I certainly wasn't getting encouragement at home, and to think of the life beyond the hills of southeastern Austria, there is a good job with the police waiting for me when I got out of the army. Others should be so lucky, my father thought. He also didn't understand or approve of my interest in bodybuilding. He thought it was egotistical and selfish. Why don't you just chop some wood instead, he would say. You can get big and strong, and that way at least you have done something for somebody else. Then there were times that he would come home drunk after work and hit us. Those nights were very hard. I could have very easily allowed myself to get wrapped up in all that, but I chose to stay positive. I have always made that choice. I recognize the vast majority of my days, my father was a good dad and my mother was the best mom. That life wasn't exactly particularly comfortable, not by modern standards anyways, but it was a good life. A life where I learned a lot and found a lot about my passion, my purpose, and my first mentors. Even the undeniably bad things I chose to remember that were a big part of what drove me to escape, to achieve, to become the person I am today. If my childhood was just a little bit better, you might not be holding this book right now. And if it was just a little bit worse, you, may not, you might not be holding this book either. Because I could have fallen down the same rabbit hole of alcoholism that my brother fell down, which eventually costed him his life in a drunk driving accident in 1971. I owe a lot to my upbringing. I was made for it and made by it. I wouldn't be who I am today without each one of those experiences. The Stoics have terms for this. Amor fati, love of fate. Do not seek for things to happen for the way you want them to. The great Stoic philosopher and former slave, Actibus, 
I probably said that wrong, but I mispronounced some other things too. Um, he said, rather wish that what happens happens the way it happens, then you will be happy. Nietzsche talks about this too. He says, my formula for greatness in a human being is amor fate. That one wants nothing to be different, not forward, not backwards, not in all eternity, not merely to bear the necessity, but love it. To get to this place, it takes some work. It's not intuitive to stare adversity or unpleasantness in the face and think, yes, this is what I need. That is what I want. I love this. Ironically, our natural negativity bias draws us towards all the bad stuff happening out in the world, but it makes us want to run away, to deny, to turn a blind eye to the difficulty when it finds its way to our doorstep. And if that doesn't work, then we just complain about it. It happens to the best of us. We're all guilty of it all the time with big things just as often as little things. Let me see that again. I'm just going to repeat that for you guys. Ironically, our natural negativity bias draws us towards all the bad stuff happening out in the world, but it makes us want to run away, to deny, to turn a blind eye to all the difficulty when it finds its way to our doorstep. And if that doesn't work, then we just complain about it. It happens to the best of us. We're all guilty of it all the time with bag, with big things or even just with little things. Anytime I find myself in a shitty situation, I find the urge to bitch and moan and raise it up within me. But then I stop, take a breath and tell myself that it's time to switch gears. I will actually talk to myself out loud and remind myself to look at the positive in my situation. In March of 2018, I found myself in one of the shittiest situations possible. In a post-operative intensive care unit, after what was supposed to be a minimally invasive valve replacement procedure turned into a full-blown operation heart surgery. At some point during the operation, the surgeon accidentally blew through my heart wall, so they had to quickly crack my chest open and repair the damage while they replaced the valve the old-fashioned way. Had things gone normally? I would have been out of the hospital in a couple of days and then up and around like nothing had ever happened. That was the whole reason I decided to have the procedure when I did. A few weeks before, I had a meeting with a 90-year-old man who had the same procedure only a few days before, and he looked like he just got out of the spa. This would have been perfect timing, I thought. I knew I had needed the replacement valve, which had a lifespan of 10 to 12 years, and it had originally been inserted in 1997. When I went for my first heart surgery to fix what is called a biscopid aortic valve, which is a kind of prenatal heart defect that can have no symptoms to some people their whole lives, but can also be fatal to others, like it would be for my mother the very next year. I've been putting the replacement surgery off because I was busy and because last I heard heart surgery was still a bitch. Now I was being told that it was almost like orthoscopic surgery, which is exactly what I needed because in a few months I had a Buddha, I had to be in Budapest, be filming Terminator dark fate. The plan was to knock out the surgery, rest for a week and then get back to the gym and prepare for the film. Then I woke up. The doctor was standing over me, and a breathing tube was jammed down my throat. I'm sorry, Arnold, the doctor said. There were complications. We had to open you up. As the doctor explained the situation, I had many thoughts and emotions spinning inside my head. 
I was scared because they nearly killed me. I was pissed off because there was going to be a major problem for the production. I was frustrated because I remember how I remember what it took to get back to 100% after my first heart surgery, and that was 21 years ago. A little depressing when the doctor told me that I'd been had to be in the hospital for at least a week and I couldn't do any kind of lifting for at least a month. And then they wouldn't let me leave until I could take a deep breath without aggravating my lungs or walk unassisted to take a shit, or as I called declaring victory without help getting into or out of the bathroom. I let all those emotions have their moment in my mind, but then when the doctor finally left the room, I said to myself, okay, Arnold, this isn't what you preferred, but you're alive. Let's switch gears. Now you have a goal to get to this place and you have a mission to do all your exercises and achieve the results that will get you discharged. It's time to get to work. I rang the call button next to my bed and a nurse came in and I asked her to erase the section of the dry erase board on the wall across from me and to write the words breathing and walking. Every time I completed a session of breathing exercises or did some walking and reached the target destination at the end of the hall around the nurse's station to the elevators, I asked her to add a tally mark to the board. I was going to treat this like my old workouts back in Graz and my preparation process for all the movies and speeches. This system worked. I knew how to do this. Plus, it allowed me to keep track of my process visually, which gave me confidence to build momentum. It also meant I didn't have to think about it, so I could use all the mental energy to ignore the burning in my lungs as I inhaled and exhaled into a breathing apparatus that looked like a cross between a chemistry beaker and a cat toy. Not having to guess whether I was making progress allowed me to focus on firing my legs and arms, back muscles, as I was walking down the hospital corridors. First with a walker, then with a cane, and eventually just with the rolling IV stand that carried a bag connected to the drainage tube sticking out of my chest. I declared victory a day earlier than expected, and I was home just after six days in the ICU. A month after the surgery, maybe a day or two early, if I'm being honest, I was in my home gym with the IV stand next to me and the drainage tube sticking out of my chest, draped over the bar of a lat down of a lat pull down machine while I did a bunch of reps with no weights to wake up my muscles. Within another month, I was adding weights to every lift, 20 pounds, then 40 pounds, then 60 pounds, and so on. A month after that, I was on a plane to Budapest to be filming right on schedule. I don't tell the story very often, but when I do, a lot of people ask me if I sued the doctors for nearly killing me on that table. This always surprises me because I never once thought about it. Mistakes happen. In fact, I knew beforehand that mistakes can happen with this kind of procedure. The actor Bill Paxton died from complications during the similar valve replacement procedure at the same hospital the year prior. It is why I told the hospital administrators that I wouldn't do the operation there unless an open heart surgery team was in the room during my procedure. Beyond that, and beyond the fact that I am prepared for that possibility, these doctors are only human. They did the best they could, and don't forget that they saved my life. What would have been the point of suing them? It doesn't change what happened. Who would have benefited besides the lawyers? What positive thing could any of us taken away from the experience at the end of a lawsuit? The famous Australian philosopher Holocaust Service Victor Frankl said, You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you feel and what you do 
about what happens to you. So here are some questions for you. How many hours do you think you waste every week complaining about things that happen to you that are out of your control? How many times do you spend worrying about things that might happen that you can't possibly predict or prevent? How many minutes a day do you allow yourself to read articles and social media posts that piss you off but have nothing to do with your life? How many times have you gotten angry in traffic and carried that negative emotion into your office or your classroom or through your front door at your own home? We just talked about how full your daily schedule is and how you need to protect those precious hours you have every week to do the work to achieving your vision. By giving into negativity, you're allowing these things to steal time from you, from your dream, from the people closest to whom it's your job to lead. Whether it's your family or your intramural sports team, your project group, your unit, whatever it is. But you can take the time back. It's time to repurpose it. You can make it productive and turn that negative situation into a positive experience. It all starts by catching yourself anytime you start to complain and then talking yourself into switching gears and looking for the good in the situation. If you can choose joy over jealousy, happiness over hate, love over resentment, positivity over negativity, then you have the tools to make the best of any situation, even the ones that feel like failure. And uh, yeah, that's what I got for you guys today. Um, I highly recommend this book. I uh, looking at it right now and I got more sticky notes in here than it can count. Um, it's just like a colorful mess, more underlines than I can remember. Um, great book, very applicable. Again, highly encourage you to get your hands on it. Um, but yeah, with that, I'm just going to take us out. Um, thank you for investing some time with me and listening to my podcast. As Samuel Johnson once said, people need to be reminded more than they need to be taught. If you gain something from this podcast, I encourage you to save it to a playlist on your device so you can always come back to it and be reminded of the encouragement or the words or anything that I just said that stuck out to you. I'd also encourage you to share this with someone that might get some value from it because who knows, maybe hearing these words could benefit their life. Whether you do any either of these things, I don't care. I'm just thankful you took the time to listen to this podcast. It truly means the world. Um, anyways, we'll catch you later. Have a good one. Peace.